Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. Hi, welcome again to another episode of Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi. I hope you have been enjoying the series so far. I am very happy to introduce you to another amazing human being. Her name is Kiliani. Don't you just love that name? Clay. She's the former CEO of Savic. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thank you so much for having us in your home. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Beautiful house. I'm very calm, very <laughs> zen. Um, I mean, I've met you over the years and I've observed you because you were on our screens for a long time. Um, you always were very serious. Obviously, the topics were quite serious. But what did you do for fun as a child? Do you have any siblings? Yes, I do. I have one brother. Uh, he's two and a half years younger than me. And uh, what did I do for fun? I suppose it'll sound quite boring. Yeah. I was a reader of note. I read crazily all the time. Uh, and then, of course, when, when you're younger, you're outside playing mm. with the kids. You know, we still did all of that in mm. those days. You ran outside. I played marbles with the boys. I played a little bit of soccer with yeah. them and, you know, that kind of thing. So we lived in the flat. So there was lots of kids around uh, all the time uh, in, the, in the early days. And yeah. then later, it was, I think, predominantly uh, reading and, and a bit of yoga. Actually, yeah. you may not be surprised by this, but one of the common themes amongst all the people that I've selected, whom I think are wise, reading is one of the things that they've done since they were kids. I remember when my boys were uh, growing up, um, reading was always a thing, mm. but you don't want to overforce them to read. Uh, my youngest son ended up being an absolute reader. He'd read three books at one go. But I, I used to say to, to, to people quite often, let them read anything. Mm. It doesn't have to be a novel. It can be a soccer magazine or a music magazine, but just to let people read that, all that, the time. that habit, yeah. Yes, yeah. When I was younger, and I used to say, read your school books like you're reading a novel. Like mm. it's fun. Mm. It, mm. The stress goes away. Because sure. you enjoy sure. it. It's like yeah. your bedtime reading. <laughs> what vision did you have for your life? Has it come to pass the way you thought it all fold? I think so. I mean, look, you, you know, when, when you're younger, you don't really sit and you, you have an idea, but you don't actually map out every single thing that happens. But I think I knew uh, while at school that I, that I would uh, go through to university. I think it was just a given. I didn't even sit and contemplate, you know, money wasn't easy, but my parents managed somehow. And, uh, and so I knew I would go on to be a professional. And law was always uh, an exciting thing. And I think with television, you pick up all the LA law stories. <laughs> it sounds very sexy oh, yeah. and very exciting, but it's not quite and like that. And they were quite cute as yes. well. And it wasn't quite <laughs> like that in practice. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you, so I, I think I certainly have. And probably the leadership issues came up along the way. You don't actually sit and say, oh gosh, I'm a leader now. Uh, but it, it, these things sort of come about as you go along and your experiences actually talk to how your personality develops as you go along. Um, and and I think that I, I feel comfortable in those positions. I've been in it for a long time. 
uh, from early days, I think from 32, I headed up the state attorney's office in Johannesburg. Um, so yeah, I think very much so. I have no regrets. I've, I've changed probably to three jobs over the years, a private practice, the state attorney's office, and, and justice all, you know, yeah. in there, and then to fabric. Yeah. So um, I've always been very honored, I think. I feel so blessed and pleased about the fact that I've always been in great positions yeah. and I've always had amazing people to work with. Mm. Always makes makes life easy. I would pop up at four o'clock almost every morning, um, and happily do so. Uh, yeah, because it was just it was it was great to with the work that I did. Because I do wonder, you know, you spent twelve years in Sabrick. What yes. made you jump out of bed every morning? Oh, I loved being at Sabrick. I absolutely loved it. I think that it was it was the challenge of knowing that we, we still had to, to do things. There was constantly, you never get to the end of it in a way um, because criminals are, are becoming so advanced and constantly uh, changing their goals as well. So you, 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 your mind is active all the time because you're constantly thinking about how do you get ahead of them. And I remember always having this, this discussion or debate around uh, around who was one step ahead and everybody, the standard uh, thing is that criminals are always one step ahead of you. And I used to say, no, they're one step behind us because when the banks used to come out with a new solution, every time there was a new um, offer to clients, a better and more accessible way uh, to do your banking, the criminals jumped on those platforms as yeah. well. So they were they were following. If if you had internet banking, then they would get onto that. If there was ATMs, moving away from just branch uh, interactions, then they got to ATMs. Yeah. You know, so it was constantly that. And also, they're always innovating. They're very great. Absolutely, and that's the skill we need. I remember reading an article years ago in, in one of the Harvard Business Reviews, and I remember that they were talking about they were comparing organized syndicates. Uh, with with uh, looking at how do they manage, how do they come up with their strategy, how do they manage it, and how come they are so super effective. You have large organizations all over, or even smaller ones, you know, sitting down, planning, looking Gosh. at strategy, and in, they're not Good always answers. successful. Yeah, yeah, but, but at least they strategize. But these guys are so good because they have access to so much of money. They have access to resources all over the world. They're able to mitigate their risk. If they know that some defense mm -hmm. thing is put in, they know how to go around it, and they concentrate. They on that. They don't take their eyes. Oh, absolutely. They're on the vehicle all the time. You're almost describing, so, as you're talking, you you can be describing a strategy textbook, yes, a brand absolutely, textbook. Absolutely. I mean, it's almost like they are so learned. Yeah. And they can get skills from yeah. wherever they want. You know, we've had instances where we've had very, very professional, skilled people. You know, if you look at an actuarial scientist, you think, gosh, they've spent years studying and working. They, they, we had an instance where one of them had actually joined an organization. So they recruit yes, qualified Yes, people. and I mean, maybe something was going wrong in that person's life. They yeah. saw the opportunity and went for it. And anyway, they make a lot of money. They so do. It's good work yeah. for them, yeah. gosh. But you may, you must really write some things around this. I mean, the criminal mind is something that 
we all need to understand. No, absolutely. And you know, I mean, I, I did criminology as a major. Yeah. Um, and with the, this fabric job, uh, we were very involved with um, assisting the banks fight organized crime. The banks were actually very forward-thinking. And I know that bank bashing is a common phenomenon all over the world and everybody hates banks, but I must say that they've been very forward-thinking because they knew that the criminals were attack, will attack any bank. They don't care about the brand of a bank. They would attack any bank. And they knew that if they pulled their, pulled their resources together from an economies of scale point of view, you, you save money in mitigating the risk, you get access to information that all the different banks have, and they all have the same goal. And it works wonderfully because the banks actually stand together in the yeah. fight against crime. And of course, we all, Sabic also has, uh, has had as the, or has as the client the CIT industries as well, yeah, uh, the major ones. So, yeah. yeah, interesting industry. For as long as I've known you, you've had long streaks in your hair. <laughs> what was the first reaction you had the first time you had the streaks in the business world, particularly? Yeah, uh, actually, well, the reason I I, I did that is because I hate boring. Mm. I, I always like to do something, and I and I feel like if, even if you're in the business and in the corporate world, there's no hard and fast rule about there's certain rules you will, but this was not going to be controversial I yes. didn't think it and actually it wasn't so when I started off with light brown streaks mm. in my hair and as the years went I went to blonde and then I went ended up with ash blonde yeah I have gray now yeah um it was it was just a fun thing and and everybody's reaction was so complimentary mm. and I was surprised that even in a conservative industry um, I had people all over being so um, uh, complimentary about it and I would actually have, I mean I never expected this, all over, in and out of South Africa. Uh, I remember walking in a shopping centre in Seattle when I was in the Department of Justice um, and the, uh, my man came, an old man, he came and tapped me on my shoulder and he said, I've been watching you walk and he said, I must tell you that I love your hair. <laughs> I, would, I don't think I would have gone to a stranger to yes. tell them that I like that. I would have admired it. But Conversation I, I had that all the time, yeah. all the time. In and, the and that's why I'm asking you. And, because yeah. it is a conservative industry and people yes. have an idea that you have to leave who you are behind yeah. in order to fit in. Yeah, but I, I, I think maybe my, my confidence and the manner in which we worked uh, nobody was mm. going to come and yeah. complain about my hair. <laughs> yes, because yeah. your expertise speaks for itself. Yeah, and yeah. I think the uh, it, it became a signature thing. Yes, I didn't realize it until I mean I couldn't even go through passport control or uh, the security gates. I would have somebody or the guards or someone say, oh, "Aren't you so and so?" Yes, and it is your brand. This yeah. is why I've asked about it. <laughs> so, what is truly important in your life? You know, a very easy answer to that question, without doubt at all, my family. I think more than anything else, I do have some regrets. Uh, my husband and I are together for 39 years, and uh, he's one of the most amazing people. Uh, and we, we're great friends. We, uh, we, we, he's totally, I mean, this time with, the, with what I've been going through, he's just been at my side all the time. I have two boys. Uh, one's 35 and one's 30 um, and I have a daughter-in-law now which I'm very excited yeah. about <laughs> for a few months now. Yes. 
And so I think family is so important. And the regret that I, I had, I think I've dealt with it. Um, my youngest son was very good at hockey. And he would be in all these matches. He became player of the year and got full colors and stuff. And it was only later, I mean, we always supported the kids, but we, I, we didn't go to matches in the weekdays. You know, there was work and you just move ahead and go on. Saturdays and uh, it was fine. But uh, one day, he must have been in his early 20s when he said to me he had always wished that oh. I was at his matches. Yes. Uh, and, you know, we'd come home, we'd hear how well he did, we'd sit around the table and compliment and talk about it. But I didn't realize that he was, and he never said anything yes. to me. And so, you were busy. And so, yeah, but you know, I could have taken a day's oh. leave if there were major matches. And yeah. it just never occurred to me. And um, and so, I mean, look, we've spoken about it. There's no issues. Yes. He doesn't have a chip on his shoulder about it or anything. But it's like those little things. So, you know, I mean, I've always been, while being in a corporate environment or even in, in government, um, the time was always an issue, and you always had to like prove. You always had to prove yourself, especially in the new South Africa, um, when the start of the the democratic South Africa. I remember <laughs> picking my son up from. Uh, he used to do gymna not gymnastics, but like all these um, um, similar to gymnastics, but on all these benches. I've forgotten now what it's yeah. called. And he uh, had a, they had a Russian coach, and he was like very particular, and parents couldn't stand there because he couldn't distract the kids yeah. you know, while they're busy. And I was standing outside, I was in the Department of Justice, I was the state, in the state attorneys then, it was new, it must have been about 96, 97. And he, the, these ladies were all standing outside waiting for their children, so we talked. And so they said to me, asked what do I do, and I said to them, I head up the state attorneys for Johannesburg, and they said, wow. Are you an affirmative action candidate? And I said, yes, I am. Yes, and yes, I'm, I'm proud to. I was never, I was never yes. not proud to yes. be an You know, you had to affirm people. Yes. And uh, It's about opening it, doors. It's yes, not yeah. about inferior Absolutely. Uh, qualifications or inferior Absolutely. competence. And it also it does put a bit of pressure on you yes. because you're being watched all the time. But for me, it wasn't really um, a stressful mm. thing because I worked like that. You know, we worked hard. We always wanted to do great and super at whatever we did. So it was it was almost normal, but you just knew that people were watching all the yeah. time. Yeah. Which is a perfect place for me to ask you this. You know my favorite question to ask. What's your unique value proposition? <laughs> what makes you memorable and impactful? I think leadership very much uh, part of me. Um, I don't have an issue around conflict or or any of those kind of issues that generally would bring make people feel uncomfortable. So I think for me is that I'm 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 pretty strong person. I have a pretty strong personality. Um, I have um, great faith in people and I enjoy people. I could never sit in an office and look at the walls or just my computer all the time. I, I need that interaction. It makes me thrive mm. and grow. So I, I see myself, i always seen myself as being somebody who can lead, drive an organization. But more importantly, is to make sure that the team is always powerful. It's not about you as the leader. You direct and you 
um, you, you assist people getting to where we need to go as an organization. And I also had always firmly believed that I didn't need to have all of the skills. So as part of your value proposition, you don't need to be an expert at everything. That's why you employ a team. Yeah. And you're supposed to utilize everybody and acknowledge them. Mm. You don't take all the glory for yourself, you know. Mm. And I think that's very important. And that earns you the respect. And I think that um, with the, with the uh, approach that I had in terms of wanting to do any of the positions, I always, I didn't at any stage feel that I was being undermined in terms of respect, um, in terms of uh, for people wanting to follow the lead where we needed to be front end first and not bottom up. There are times when, uh, you know, that becomes relevant and it's important and you have to implement on that basis as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I've always loved my jobs, all of them, yeah. you know. Yeah, so. You've been very fortunate, haven't you? Yes, I have, and that's why I say I really feel blessed, you know. They, if, I, if, if I didn't like something, I wouldn't stay in it. I wouldn't. I feel, I feel and I still feel that way. I think that every person is responsible for their own destiny and how they feel. They, they have to look within first. If you decide you want to be miserable about something or unhappy or down about it, uh, I, I'm not talking about people who have a clinical problem around. I'm talking about just normal. Um, you, you can decide, do you want to wallow in something or do you want to come out of it? Because living and being relatively comfortable and happy is important and for me it was and so I have this rule I always tell young people that I sometimes mentor coach or just have a chat around and I would always say I have a 48 hour rule it's called my two-day rule I don't allow myself more than two days to sort myself out I always say there's options for everything that you do uh, or you need to do uh, you may not like all the options. Yes. Choose the best of the options that are available to you and move with it. Decide that's what I'm going to do. And, and it's worked wonderfully for me as well. You know, I've always been in that position uh, where I would be able to um, sort myself out. Into 48 hours. Yeah. I must yeah. remember that. Yes. So what's your Achilles heel? I have an absolute sense of impatience. I want everything done yesterday. Um, if I have a target and I tell the team as well, don't tell me on the last moment that you can't deliver. Then I'm sorry, you can, you know, I, I'm not really, really tolerant around that. Tell me early enough because you'll have a reason why you can't deliver. And I'll deal with the rest of it, you know, but don't. So I have such an impatience, but I've learned over the years because I've been told. Yes. I've been told by my team that sometimes they know that there's no uh, malice in it. Yes. They, but they, I, I didn't realize that I was giving the team a sense of uh, insecurity a little bit because mm. I would want it done. And if it wasn't done, I would go and help. And I thought that I was doing it just to help the team because everyone's so busy. Yes. And I said, don't worry about it, I'll get this one. Yeah. But from their perspective, it was, you know, they were feeling insecure. Do I think that they're not good enough? No. And, and, and the thing that I was really pleased about, and I'm always pleased if I'm in this situation, is when my team constructively criticizes me. 
because I wouldn't know if they don't tell me. And my, one of my teams, in fact, I was in the Department of Justice then, and we were doing some restructuring, and we had consultants in, and they had to talk to the team. And the team um, said to them that they have already shared with me uh, something, yeah. and they did. They sat down with me and they said, we were so busy. I was, I was in the IT department of the Department of Justice at that time, and uh, we were running with everything trying to get everybody up on email and trying to do a whole other thing. And uh, and they said to me, they told me that they feel a little little bruised sometimes because they I'm I'm getting in and doing some of their work. But you know for me and then I explained, it's not about that. I said, look at your assessments and your performance and stuff and I explained that I'm trying to help but I'm but you're right, I should tell you that when I'm doing it. Because that's what a manager do does. Yes. You work through people, yes. not yes. doing their yes. stuff for them. Yeah. That was a good uh, lesson. But, so you, you, you learn about those yeah. kind of things. And I do. At home, everybody knows that I get up early in the morning. I get done. I just, everything must be sorted. I won't sit and relax until I'm done with whatever I need yeah. to do. <laughs> and you still look calm with all that. <laughs> no, look, I'm, a, I'm not an, I'm not, uh, I am, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like pretty calm. calm yeah. And, how I deal with yeah. this, yeah. You know, when we're born, we know that uh, our destiny is not to live forever. Yeah. But normally that does not occupy because we're always like shocked that we're not going to live forever for some mm -hmm. reason. When you were diagnosed with the terminal illness, do you see life differently now? You certainly do have a different perspective. I don't think mine is so drastic mm -hmm. from what how I normally lived and how I normally considered things. Uh, but I probably have a, a, an impatience comes in here again. I don't uh, just, uh, I'm not, an, uh, I don't pick fights with anybody or I don't unnecessarily want to be aggressive about anything, and I'm not. But I just think that I don't want to tolerate something just for the sake of it, uh, you know. So that that's one of the things that's different. But uh, I think... You, you want to be able to do as much as you can. And fortunately for me, I've really been, uh, had the pleasure and, and really a blessing that I've been able to do a lot of the things that I wanted to do and have actually done it. And there aren't many things on, on, uh, that, I, that I kind of contemplated, but it seems like, we, we foodies, our whole family, mm. we love eating at, at, at the different restaurants and, and cool places and we love traveling. So all those things have been done. I haven't been to every country in the world or every city, but I have done quite a bit. So I think you, 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 a lot of people who, it gives them the opportunity to sit and think about, you know, what have I not done? What should have been done? We, I don't know when, when this is going to end. Uh, I have to tell you though that this doesn't bother me in the least, but having cancer, um, it just doesn't bother me. I just think it's one of the things that's happened. I just carry on as normal. I uh, I remember uh, writing a note. We have a uh, we we have a magazine at Sabric, an internal newsletter, and they call it the Sabric Yak. And um, I wrote uh, a I, I normally write a piece every month in it, or every second month when the mag comes out. 
And I remember saying to the team, as soon after I was diagnosed with cancer, that was July 2018, um, and, I, and I said to them, you know, this has come as a shock. Obviously, it's come as a shock, but it's not something that's affecting me in the sense that it's changed my whole life, that I feel so down, oh my God, I'm, uh, I was 56 when I, um, when I was diagnosed, or, or just short, a month short of 56. And um, I think, oh, I'm still young, and I, I don't have those thoughts at all. In fact, I was very calm when my doctor told me about it. My husband had just left to come home uh, to get me something, and the hospital is nearby here. And the doctor, uh, pulmonologist came in, and she said she was so upset. And um, she was watery-eyed. And she said, because she knew me, and she said, um, I'm so sorry to tell you that this is what it is. Um, and I said to her, it's fine, we'll deal with it, whatever it is. Because what do you do? Yeah. You know, the one thing that I've always said to do is that um, I refuse to be bogged down or bother myself with things that I have no control over. The things that are within my control, I will do. Um, to the best of my ability, but what I have no control over. Now, the cancer was something I would I decided very early on, and that's what I wrote to the team about as well. I decided that I will follow my medical team's advice. I will. My oncologist is an amazing, amazing man, and uh, I will follow his advice. I will not Google. When they told me that I had adenocarcinoma of both my lungs and it had gone metastase to my some of my bones. And just while we're talking about it, last year in August, um, I became more, uh, I, I became sick again because the tablet stopped working. I, I don't do chemo or anything, it's a, just a tablet that I take. And then it sort of went downhill and I lost the use of my hand and it actually metastase to my brain. So. You know, you go through all of that, but even at that stage, it's what happens, you go with it. I refuse to be miserable, because if you think about it, if you stop and if you say, you, you're down about mm -hmm. it, you think, oh my God, I'm not going to see my children, how am my husband going to manage? All you're doing is you're making yourself miserable. I can't do anything uh, about what, how, whether it will work, whether I'll go into remission or not. It's a slow process. This. And so I thought, I, my, my belief is, and it's very much my 48-hour rule, yes, my two-day rule, is that if I feel like something is not going right, we were looking for the new medication and all of that, I just said, whatever comes, comes. It, you know, mm. um, so yeah, I think I have over the years, in, in a way I think about it, uh, I think over the years I've been training myself in terms of how I handle any situation. And I think it was in a sense almost planned, uh, you know, the practice so was preparation. To, for this. Yes. Because I could hand, I handle it as anything else. You know? Yeah, mm -hmm. I must say, I, you know, it's nothing you wish on anybody, but if anybody experiences that, part of what I see in you is part of what I wanted to share because, you know, you going through this and the mindset you seem to, to have around it and even us around you get that 
you give us the positivity instead of you getting the positivity from us. And and I think that also helps with the dis-ease in life when mm-hmm. uh, our body's experiencing something. That, because you're not artificially positive. Yeah. It's just, you know. It's just, it's just the yes. how it is. And, and yeah. I'm, yeah. that's the part I really am very touched by. What do you fear? I do have, it's not a, it's not a fear that is in my mind all the time. It doesn't yeah. to occupy my mind that much. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I do fear is, um, I do not want to be dependent, completely dependent in order to live. I don't want to be a vegetable and lie around there. Uh, I, that, that's what I would hope never ever happen. So I do, I talk to my husband about it all the time and say, put me on a plane and take me to Switzerland and just, it's so silly to, you, you, you know, it, it's, it's not about you don't care about your family or your friends or whatever. It's about the fact that there are people who are living and who need to live a normal life and as best as they can. No one lives forever. And why? I just think if it's now, there's nothing further that can be done, then just don't hang around that much, you know, don't hang around. Because you're putting people through such a difficult time, your family goes through a difficult time. I don't want somebody to have to put me into a bath and do all these kind of things. I just want to go oh, yeah. away. And so that that's the thing that I hope never happens. Yeah. 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 And you will get your wish, whichever way, yes. whether you're yes. totally cured, yeah. Yeah. Uh, whichever way. Yes. In conclusion, because we could talk forever, yeah. but I know <laughs> even though you are almost a woman of leisure, you're still very <laughs> hectic, so I know I have to let you go. Um, what wisdom would you want to share with us? What is the one thing, if this is the last conversation, yeah. what would you want us to remember? I, I think very much things that I've already spoken about, about you are really responsible for yourself. You can get up in the morning and you can say, oh my God, I, I, um, I've I, had a, a big disagreement with somebody. I'm so unhappy. We now have broken this relationship or whatever, just as an example. And, and, and I, I would say, you decide. Do you want to constantly talk about how horrible this person is? What does it do? It makes you miserable. You're always bringing negative things to you. I would turn things around. I would say to people, whenever you're in any situation, irrespective of what it is, even if you lose your job, it's a dire thing. It's terrible. It's it's devastating for anybody. But don't sit and wallow. Keep yourself up and going and you know do what needs to be done. If it means you have to start a new course or do something, just don't. The minute you, you regress, uh, you actually start everything negative starts you know you attract negative mm. things. So I, I really do believe that it's about how you manage yourself. Um, take advice where you need to take it, but do make sure that you know that whatever it is that you want to do, this is this is the path yeah. that you take. You won't get there in tomorrow. It may take time, but at least you know you you know what the plan is and that you have a plan. I think that's very important. Yeah. Just be honest to yourself in terms of how, and really important, don't ever live what the, the life that you think other people expect of you, you know? It is so important. Uh, I remember my husband, I was an attorney in practice then, 
and um, I would say no to friends if they were going on holiday and I thought I don't want to do this on, uh, and have to come back and pay. We've always been have very much a saving mindset and I would rather say no sorry I can't come and if, I never felt embarrassed about saying can't afford it. Not and we do now don't we? Yeah. Yes yeah. we try to portray a life that we don't have. Yeah. And that's really, really important. Uh, yeah. Thank you for that courage. Can you understand why we're having this conversation? I hope you've enjoyed that conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudumsomi. Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.